Welcome in, everybody. I'm Bobby Levine. Alongside me again is Jackson Schroeder. Hey, hey. Happy to be back. It is an action-packed week, folks. We have so much to talk about. But before we get started, I want to give a huge shout-out to my main man, Chris Kelly. We went up to Madison, Wisconsin this past week, one of the best college football games I have ever seen. A huge shout-out to him. Thank you for unbelievable seats. Uh, had a great weekend. We're going to get things started off here, Jackson, with college football. Talking about Ohio State, a huge win for them. A couple almost upsets, including Wisconsin. And then Clemson almost went down earlier Saturday. We're starting to finally see a top 10 emerge here late, almost going into the second half of the college football season. What were your takeaways from last week? Well, my takeaways from last week is, number one, Alabama is legitimate. They beat the snot out of Tennessee. I mean, in this Tennessee team, we all were doubting going in, but how they played A&M and then how they played Alabama, you really see how Alabama is the top of the SEC, the SEC West in my eyes, the top of uh, college football right now. I don't think anyone can beat them right now. Uh, number two, Ohio State, Wisconsin. That was a big game, a big win for Ohio State. This Wisconsin team is by far the best two-loss team in this entire, in all of college football. But I took I took something from this that you might not quite agree with, Bobby. I, I took that Ohio State-Wisconsin overtime match with Ohio State letting them go up 16-6 to against them early in the game. I took that, and then I looked at the way that they played Michigan, and I think Michigan's win was more impressive over them. Maybe they came into this game with more uh, intensity, more expectations, whatever, but I like... If you if you take those two games, Michigan was way more dominant over this Wisconsin team than Ohio State was. All right, so I'm going to have to disagree with you right there and right there immediately. First off, Michigan beat Wisconsin in Ann Arbor. They played a home game at 3.30. You should win every home game you play, especially if you're Michigan in front of 100,000-plus fans, a very, very young, inexperienced quarterback, and Hornybrook for Wisconsin, and – you beat them by seven. Your offense doesn't put up quite the numbers Ohio State offense did against Wisconsin's defense. They only put up 14. Now, if you look at the other side, Wisconsin goes home. They have a whole week off to prepare for Ohio State. Ohio State played last week. They play them in Madison in one of the hardest places to pull off a win. They play them at night in front of Camp Randall, which was by far the most electric crowd I've been to away from the horseshoe. It was so loud. They had jumped around in the fourth quarter, going into the fourth quarter. The place was literally shaking. It was incredible. The whole atmosphere was lit, and everybody for Wisconsin came to play. Ohio State's defense stood on their heels. They gave up their first rushing touchdown of the season that game. Ohio State are very young and inexperienced. They went there. I think they were very surprised how hot Wisconsin came out of the gates. They showed up in the second half, and they pulled off a win away from home and next this week coming up they're going to Penn State of even a harder place to play at night that's Death Valley it's going to be super excuse me Happy Valley it's going to be super hard to play there two row games in a row a whiteout in in, uh, Penn State this week I'm very impressed with this Ohio State team and JT Barrett with his leadership calming everyone down at halftime coming back and putting a routing on the second half well that's true and I and I do think that people make a big deal out of a, a too big of a deal out of where you play. I think that if this Ohio State team were to play Wisconsin on their home field at night, it 
maybe they won would have won a little bit bigger, but I don't think that really matters. And I think it speaks to the poise and poise of this Ohio State team that they should be able to go to Wisconsin at night and play as they would at home. If they've got the best coach in college football, well, except for maybe Nick Saban too and Jim Harbaugh at this point, but they I just think that they should put up a better performance, especially early in the game. The, er, Meyer should have had them. Uh, ready for this game earlier. Well, they were ready, but again, they played the week before. Wisconsin had two weeks to prepare. They played Indiana. It doesn't matter. Indiana showed up this week and almost beat Nebraska, who was undefeated in the top ten. Questionable, so, so Nebraska. So where I come from right now is, yes, you can say this, they should have showed up better, but they won the game. The only turnover JT Barrett had in the third quarter when they were driving in the red zone was an interception, and that was the only time the whole game where it came down in sheets. It rained so hard for literally five minutes of that game the ball slipped down through an interception. If that wouldn't have happened, Ohio State would have won by 10-plus points. You can't just say, oh, well, you can't throw the interception. It was a fluke play. The weather went to the went to uh, the wrong side and helped uh, Wisconsin at home there. If it was the other way around, I think Hornibrook throws an interception. Ohio State's defense played on their heels. They stopped Wisconsin multiple times in the red zone. I'm very impressed with this. They're going, again, to Penn State this week. I'm very excited to see what they show up this time. Two years ago, Ohio State – forced overtime against Penn State and pulled off a victory almost the same way they won. They sacked uh, Hackenberg at the end to win that game. That was Bosa, uh, Joey Bosa at the time. Ended up winning a national championship that year. I am not worried about a very close win against probably the second best team um, in any other conference besides the Big Ten is what, in Wisconsin. I think if Wisconsin goes to the Big 12, they're the best team there. I, mean, I would agree the, with that. But if they go to the I, Pac-12, they're the best team there. And the ACC, they're probably top two. I just look at the ways that they're playing each other, and I like that Michigan team. That was that was Big Ten football right there, holding Wisconsin to seven points, just pounding it, two touchdowns, no field goals. That was good football. Leading up to it, Ohio State-Michigan, that's going to be a great game at the end of the year. That's going to be the only difference maker. And, I mean, Ohio State I do think will win that game, but looking at it right now, they're about even in my eyes. Well, not so fast. I don't want to jump ahead and get to saying Ohio State and Michigan will be undefeated going into that. I like to hope so. Ohio State, again, still has big games. This week, Penn State, in two weeks, they play Nebraska, who should be undefeated at the time. They play uh, Wisconsin coming up in Wisconsin, so it should be a tough game for them. We'll see how good both those teams are in that week. And then they play Michigan State on the road. I know Michigan State is is having a very, very hard stretch right now. They have a 7% chance of making the uh, a bowl game this year, which is very different from last year when they made it to the Final Four, and then they play in Michigan. So, um couple weeks in between here in Michigan, about a month and a half, but all eyes are definitely on the Big Ten for that game right now. And I know you're very excited about Alabama, but what I'm taking away from that game is they beat up a Tennessee team who could be 1-5 and five right now. They got okay, very, they, they're, very still, lucky. they're still 5-1. and one. They're Lucky does 5-2, and two, yes, but uh, okay, you're right. But they played two of the best teams in college football. They played the best team in college football in Alabama, then they played the sixth-ranked Texas A&M team. And I mean, that's their two losses. If you look at that, then that's that puts them even better than Wisconsin, which I don't think that they are. But that's by fine. those statistics, and then they, they beat are. Georgia by three, and Georgia. You think Georgia's a good team? No, I no. don't think Georgia's a good team. But that wasn't that. I mean, the, Georgia came to play that game because they knew they had to put on a show. I'm not saying Tennessee is a good team, but I'm saying that Alabama beat beat the crap out of Tennessee, and you can't take anything away from that win. I think. Alabama's a 19-and-a-half point favorite against the undefeated uh, Texas A&M team. 
and I would go with the under for that. I, I, I mean, I would. Pick I would that. probably go for the under for that, but that just shows like how good this team is and how good they can be. We'll see after next week. I'm excited. I really think A uh, and M is going to come to play. I think A and M might surprise a lot of people. I know they don't have Johnny Manziel, and it wasn't the same <laughs> as 2012. But you got to like your your chances with Knight as your quarterback. He's been an unbelievable playmaker so far. Trevor Knight has 1,500 passing yards on the dot. Uh, they got a great running back in Williams. He's got 704 rushing yards. And you never know. I mean, we'll see what happens defensive-wise. We'll see if uh, Jalen Hurts, the quarterback for Alabama, steps up in his first and, I think, real test because I don't think any Alabama game so far has been a real test. USC is not the same as what well, we Well, weren't we saying that Arkansas was a real test going in? We thought. They haven't showed up. And Tennessee is a, a decent test? A decent test, but not a great test. This is the first great test they've had all year. Okay, I'll give you that, but I think that they aren't they aren't they aren't like they're playing an easy schedule here. They played who's bad now, I'll give you that, but they played USC in the beginning of the Terrible. week. Mississippi, Ole Miss, they're not a bad team. They're not a bad team. They're like they could beat the majority of the teams in the Big Ten Ole, and the rest of Ole Miss the three SEC. Right now. They're three and three. I want to get too carried away with that. Yeah, but they could beat any team. I'm just saying that. And then Arkansas, that's a that's a scary team. Everyone was picking the under on that when they were favor- when Alabama was fourteen but favored by fourteen, excuse me, over the Razorbacks. And now they went in uh they played at Tennessee. You're speaking about at stadiums, Alabama played at Tennessee, and they won 49-10. to The difference between a 3-30 start and an 8 o'clock start on ABC and then rather CBS. And I love CBS. You're obsessed with all these times. I mean, it's late night, man. It's, it's, it's hard to play at night. The crowd gets way more into it than a 3-30 game when the sun's still way above head there in the East Coast. I, I was, again, very impressed with Ohio State. I'm not taking anything away from the win with Alabama, but – when everyone says, oh, man, I would look at the Clemson win as a very questionable win. They beat NC State at home at 12 o'clock on an overtime win. The kicker for NC State went one for four. If I was a defensive player on NC State and I and I played my butt off and should have had the win, they held uh, uh, Clemson a powerful offense to under 20 points in regulation and was 17-17 going into overtime. And your kicker misses three field goals. I would be very, very livid at that situation right there. What would you rank your top five right now, moving into week eight? Um, well, my top five, I will, I will start. Um, I will start with my number five team, and I've got for that. I've got Clemson. They are ranked in the AP one spot over Washington, and I don't think that they should be. I think Clemson has played too close of games the, sc- the wins are there but the scores aren't there they almost lost to a Troy team they almost lost to uh NC State last week and if you look at the wins that Washington is putting up week after week putting up crazy offensive numbers with 70 points over Oregon and uh, I, I have them over Clemson um so there's my f- five and four right there and then two and three this is tricky for me because of my argument that I was making earlier I think that they could have made a case for Michigan jumping Ohio State in the polls right there, but on a bye. Okay, but because Ohio State didn't put up, they, they didn't beat a top ten team at their place. You're saying they didn't put up. How are you going to drop? Because them they in the didn't polls? put up the same sort of thing. I'm not dropping them in the polls. I didn't say that I was. Michigan is still at number three for me, but Ohio State, Ohio State didn't put up 
as good of a performance. I think that's going to be a really interesting game and a scary game for Ohio State fans there. Number one, I've got Alabama. I already described that. 49-10 to 10 win over also a top 10 team. You can't get much better than that. I don't even know what statement you wish them to make if they – if you, I mean, Alabama won by 39 points on the road. Okay. No, that's fine. I mean, keeping Alabama number one for me, um, I might surprise you here. I'm going to go with number five, Washington. Wait till I get to my top four. Uh, I'm agreeing with you. Washington is the best team out west. If they do lose, though, it will turn the college football playoff upside down because that allows a Big 12 team to possibly sneak in. If not, maybe bring Houston back up to chance. Or we'll get into that a little bit later here. Uh, number four, I've got Texas A&M. I've got them right now because I think Clemson dropped a couple spots after that very, very questionable win. They should have lost. If any other kicker in the nation um, has a chance to win that, Louis Zervos uh, for Ohio University is kicking for NC State. He would definitely have made one of those three that was missed. If not, he would have made all three because he's a reliable kicker. Um, but A&M, I think they've looked solid all year long. To start off the week, um, or start the year, they beat number 16 UCLA. Uh, they beat Arkansas, who was ranked top ten or top 20, and then they beat uh, Tennessee, who was in the top 10 two weeks ago. Uh, number three, I have Michigan staying still after the bye. Ohio State at number two, a huge win. I still think they have a, a large uh, mark in front of them uh, to catch up to Alabama, but they're safe at number two because, again, Michigan did nothing last week, and then Alabama at number one. Uh, I'm very excited, though, to see what Alabama can do against A&M moving forward this week. Um, after this, though, the schedule lightens up a lot. They play low-ranked teams. If not, they won't be ranked at all with LSU uh, later in the season. And uh, they also have to play uh, Auburn, last but not least, at home, though. Yeah, I mean, that, that Auburn game will be tricky. But if you look at the top three, all of them all of them have uh, – they all – their schedules get easier from from now on, except for Ohio State playing Michigan, and I imagine they will still be top two and three at that point, as everything goes as planned. Um, but if you look at all of them, they they've all gone through the thick of their schedule up to this point. Alabama's still got this tough game next week uh, against A and M, but I see those three teams sticking in the top three until the end of this year. Yeah, no, I'm very excited moving forward for college football. I'm Bobby Levine. Alongside me is Jackson Schroeder. We're going to move ahead and move into the baseball sector of this podcast. Uh, we are right in the thick of things here. That's right. The Cleveland Indians just lost their first game of the month of October. Yeah. Today. That's a nine-game win streak That's going into the unbelievable stat to today. have. Uh, my buddy even tweeted out, it's very fun. Uh, if your team doesn't lose in October, other teams can try it. I'm I'm worried, though, for the Indians right now. I know they're ahead 3-1. Aaron Sanchez pitched a gem for the Toronto Blue Jays, but they're working on a two-man rotation. What can happen if they lose tomorrow and go back to Cleveland up 3-2? Are you worried at that at that point? Um, I'm not worried at that point. I don't if you see they've played they've won 9 straight games up to this point. I don't see them losing 4 in a row. Yeah, they don't have the pitching that they did. Um within due to injuries, but if you go to game 7, we've got Corey Kluber back in Cleveland. Um, and I don't see them losing that game seven. I don't, I don't see them. It's just, it's, it's tough because Cleveland's Cleveland's got bad pitching right now in the starting position, but they've got a decent bullpen that they can work with. If they can get their offense going, um, like they sort of did, uh, last night, um, 
we can see. We'll see. I don't. I don't. I don't like where they stand right now, but I think they sneak out of this. I don't see Toronto coming back and winning four games in a row to beat them. The problem I have right now, I'm looking at your team, and it reminds me a lot like the 2013 Cincinnati Reds team. The Reds made the postseason, were very hot. They lost Johnny Cueto, their ace, after nine pitches against the New, uh, San Francisco Giants game one. They won the first two games, needed to win one more. They ran out of arms, and that's what I'm looking at right now with you guys. You're facing Marco Estrada for tomorrow, who's been an all-star gem in the postseason for them. I know he lost the first game of the series against the Indians, but before that, he pitched a beautiful gem where the Jays ended up beating the Texas Rangers 10-1 to in Game 1 of the uh, first series in the playoffs. Um, you're throwing a bullpen arm to start off this season, Ryan Murrett. Uh, he's only pitched four times in the regular season this year. One start, went 11, or he's thrown 11 innings total, six hits given up, only two two runs. I see him only making it to the fourth inning, and then it's a bullpen game once well, again. Well, I think that's the idea with starting a bullpen pitcher. You don't expect this guy to come out and throw seven or eight innings. He is a bullpen pitcher. That's what he is. He's only pitched four innings, and I know it's hard to really gauge where a pitcher stands after that. But he does stand with a 1.64 ERA, if that whatever that means. Um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, he there's really nothing to back up uh, a positive or a negative outlook on this guy. We will just see how it goes. He he hasn't played enough to really make a big opinion on him. And then what I have coming back is. If Toronto can somehow win that game, Cleveland limps back home, and then all the pressure turns back on them. Playing in Toronto, you're playing, you know what, if we lose this game, it's okay, we're on the road. Toronto goes back there, they're going to have all momentum, two games. Then they're going to probably get back a couple. J.A. Happ's going to pitch for them probably game um, uh, six for them if they win tomorrow. And then you might throw Sanchez in game seven after his performance tonight. He pitched today, Tuesday. Saturday will be five-day rest. He'll be ready to go. I think that leans in favor of the Toronto Blue Jays and puts your bullpen in some serious hurt because, again, you only have two starters to rely on. You have Tomlin pitching game six if possible, and then Kluber pitching game seven. They're all on short rest. They are Their arms are tired. You know they're tired right now. It's October. They pitched the whole season. I mean, Tomlin's, or, yeah, Tomlin's record is 13-9, and nine, and then Kluber's record is 18-9. and nine. There are a lot of games pitched by these guys. That's true. I mean, if it gets to Game 7, then I could see the Indians being scared, as they should. But they will be at home, and the Indians will play well at home. They will go back, even if they lose this next game, then they will still be up. And they only need one, they just need one to win this entire series. I see them doing that. The odds are in their favor. I mean, there's only, the the Blue Jays need three wins to win, to put away this series. If they can win four straight to beat the Indians in the champ in the ALCS right now, that would be insane. That would be unheard of. Has that even ever happened before? Yeah, it happened one time with the uh, Boston Red Sox coming back on the New York Yankees. Was um, that when was that? That was when they were down three zero and they won the World Series in 04. 04, Yeah, okay, I couldn't remember that if it was 04 the, or seven. The thirty, the four nights in October. It's a great, great series. But anyways, then moving to the other series in the NL, if I were the Chicago Cubs, I'd be very nervous right now. First off, it's tied 1-1 series-wise. We're not right now live in game three in the fifth inning, and the Dodgers are up 3-0 at home. Rich Hill is pitching a gem. They're saying for game four, 
Um, they have Urias, their young stud pitcher, who's 5-2 and two this season with a 3-3-9 ERA, going a very veteran pitcher for the Chicago Cubs and uh, Lackey. Arietta's pitching tonight. They're saying for Game 5, they might have Kershaw come back. He pitched Game 2. This guy is throwing one of the best or excuse me, throwing one of the best games series stretch I've ever seen since two years ago when Bumgarner pitched the World Series. But I've never seen this kind of pitching performance by a starter not in the World Series in the playoffs. In the uh, NLCS and NLDS, he came in for a save and got a save for them. It's incredible. That's, well, Kershaw's got something to prove with last year's performance. He he really sort of let the the Dodgers down when last year was their year. This year, no one was really picking them to win it. Maybe earlier in the season, but late in the, but late in the regular season, they made the playoffs, but they weren't a favorite at all. And he's really showing showing his fans and his city that he can do it. He he is one of the best, if not, well, one of the best um, regular season pitchers uh, within the. Best. the yeah, within the past decade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but he hasn't proved it in the postseason, and that's what the Dodgers are paying him so much money to do. They don't care how many regular season wins they get, but th- he's proven his fans that he can do that, and this is his year to take control of that. So I-, I look and I hope that he starts in Game 5. Last Thursday, he gained so many points, in my opinion. When I was texting you when I was back in Columbus, Game 5 against the Washington Nationals, it was a do-or-die game. They were in Washington. Like I said, a lot of pressure goes off when you're the way team in this do-or-die situation. Urias, who's set up for game four against the Chicago Cubs, started that game. He went six strong innings, left the game up on top. Then they brought in their closer in the seventh inning. I love these managers finally understanding that the closer does not need to come in with a fresh slate in the ninth inning with a three-run or less lead. Bring them in when the situation needs them to come in they bring in Kenley Jansen, the best closer in baseball this whole year. He throws two and one-third innings pitch, uh, pitches through over 40 pitches, the most he's ever had in his entire career. He ends up gassing out in the ninth inning, and you know who they bring in on one-day rest after he threw 110 pitches? Yes, Clayton Kershaw. I was dumbfounded. My jaw was at my feet watching that game. I've never seen a performance like that. The day before, come in, do, does his thing. I mean, so far this postseason, he's two and zero with one no decision and a save. That is an Cy Young winner. He missed more than half the season. Is a chance to win the Cy Young this year. The Cubs should be a, a shaky right now. They lose this game. They might not even go back home because there's three games in a row in LA, and I could see LA winning all three of those games and going to the World Series. I could see that. I like the Dodgers and how they've been playing lately behind Kershaw's arm. And they picked up their bats, too, in this series. They they weren't that great in the regular season with bats. They had great pitching. Their offense didn't quite match up to it. But if you look at how they've played throughout the playoffs up to this point, they're on a hot streak right now. And I can see them uh, them taking that and beating the Cubs. And all pressure lies on the Cubs. The Cubs had won over 100 games this year insane amount of wins for them this year and and they have been the favorites ever since the beginning these past few years have been their years to do it they've been the favorites every single year and that's what's killing them they don't need all this pressure on their backs and they're going to lose again this year whether it's the dodgers or in the world series the cubs aren't going to win the world series you don't think so? no okay i'm agreeing with you there. i think the uh cubs lose this series i would be very surprised if it comes to game five 
the last game in LA, Kershaw starts and allows this series to go back because he wants to end it right now, get some rest, rest that arm for the World Series if he can possibly get to it. It'd be his first time in the World Series and all lights would be on LA and possibly Cleveland. Is that what you're going for? You think Cleveland's going to win the series? Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a Dodgers-Indians uh, World Series. Well, I guess we'll have to stay tuned for that. Next week we should have a, a uh, whole situation with that. We can go more in detail with, with uh, the World Series coming up. Moving forward to the NFL, we're going to take a look at the standings right now. We're going to do a segment called Not So Fast. You name a team, you give me a uh, Not So Fast, what we said early on the season, whether it's good or bad, and explain why, Jackson. Go ahead. Um, Not So Fast on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't like how they're playing on the road. I had them as my favorite in week two. I had them as my number one overall team, and they haven't been playing like that. They, the, they um, lost on the road against Philadelphia and Carson Wentz 34 to 3 on the road huge loss to a not not a great team as we see now and they this past week they were at Miami who had won one game going into this game and they lost 30 to 15 Ben Roethlisberger's injured and they're playing the Patriots at home still but they're playing the Patriots without Ben Roethlisberger they still are first in the AFC North They've got a tough schedule coming up. They play the Patriots, then the Ravens, and then the Cowboys. That could be three losses in a row right there. You could see the Steelers with a losing record after nine weeks. I don't know. So that's a negative right there. I'm going to flip with the script here. I'm going to go with a positive. Not so fast on the Buffalo Bills after week two. They were 0-2, a bad loss to the Ravens, only scoring seven points, losing that game 13-7, and then losing to the Jets on Thursday night football. 37 to 31. It was not pretty in that one. They go back home after that. They stay home, excuse me. They welcome in the Arizona Cardinals, who everyone was high horsed on, and beat them down 33 to 18. Next week, go to New England Patriots, the last game without Brady. Shut them out. 16 nothing. The week after that, they go on the road to the LA Rams. That's a long road trip from a Buffalo team. The Rams at the time were 3 and 1. They beat them 30 to 19. And this week, they welcome in the 49ers. And Colin Kaepernick, who got a first start all season, and they put him down very quickly. They put up 45 points on the 49ers and beat them 45-16. I think this might be the second-best team in the AFC right now. Whether you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers with a huge injury to Roethlisberger, no one really else coming out of the north. The east is or, uh, the south, the is, south terrible. is terrible, very weak, and the west is still up for grabs from any team at this point. Looking forward at the Buffalo Bills schedule, they got the Dolphins, should be a win. Then they go home and play the Patriots. Very, very key game. And after that, you never know. They could win out, or not win out. They could win most of their games. I could see them being at 10 to 12 wins this season. Oh, I could definitely see that. Uh, the Bills have looked good uh, recently. Rex Ryan might <laughs> finally be turning his career around. And it was weird because we were talking about that. After they lost to the Jets, they fired their offensive coordinator. Yeah, and we were joking around about that. He didn't fire Rob Ryan because that's his brother. That's his brother, but the defense was giving up 37 points. Exactly. But I guess it worked out for the best of them, and good luck to the Ryan family up in Buffalo. Rex Ryan is looking at everyone, having no idea what's going on right now. No idea. So what else is your uh, not-so-fast moment here in the NFL? Uh, Well, since you're doing the positive ones, I'll stick with the negative. Not-so-fast on Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. They have lost two straight to pretty bad teams in the Lions and the Redskins. They won um, three straight before that. Carson Wentz has uh, dropped off a little bit. He's still they're still going to rely on him as his 
on uh, on him as their starting quarterback for the rest of the season and probably for the next few years at least. Um, but this next week they're playing the Vikings, who are m- arguably the best team in the NFL right now along with the uh, Patriots. Um, but then they play the Cowboys, a hot Cowboys team. You could see them with a losing record after seven weeks. Yeah, you never know. It's a very that whole division, the NFC East, has always been a question mark. The last probably six to eight years, they've had a two winner, or every team has won twice in the last eight years. It's a very weird scenario there. I'm gonna stay in the division though for a positive, not so fast. The Dallas Cowboys and Jerry like Jones, especially, I'm calling him out. The owner for the Cowboys coming out last week after the Bengals were routed by the Cowboys, 28-14. The score did not show what it really was. The Cowboys have won five straight. They're five and one right now. Dak Prescott looks incredible behind that offensive line that they've been juicing up for the last couple years. And you know who I'm loving there? Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State. An unbelievable performance again, rushing over 150 yards on the Green Bay Packer defense. And that game was in Green Bay. I was joking with my buddies there. I said, you know what? I think all fans of Wisconsin are done with Ohio State. After a comeback win there in Madison, then the next day, a lot of those fans that were close sitting next to me were talking about traveling to Green Bay to watch their uh, beloved Packers play. And another Ohio State alumnus there, and Zeke runs all over them like that, and they lose. Aaron Rodgers is in trouble down there. But they have a very easy schedule coming up with the Packers, not Packers, they play the Eagles at home and then the Browns. That could be two straight wins. They could be sitting at 7-1 and one before they have to face the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who knows about Ben Roethlisberger? And after that, they play the Ravens. I could see them possibly maybe 8-2, and 9-1 and one at that point. That is a very impressive start there. And you're talking about Romo coming back. If you're Jerry Jones and coming ahead of Dak Prescott, he's got momentum. Momentum is huge in the NFL. You ride the hot hand. You don't just put him down. Look what Harbaugh did in San Fran when they had uh, Kaepernick at the time who was built and ready for that situation. Smith went out, you put in Kaepernick, and he takes you to the Super Bowl. You ride Prescott till he falls off the pedestal. Oh, I, I feel the exact same way. Jerry Jones is too involved in this program. It's ridiculous. If you look at Robert Kraft, he does exactly what he needs to 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 give Bill Belichick his breathing room to run the to run the New England Patriots program like he likes to and how he has successfully for so long. If Jerry Jones steps in and puts back in Tony Romo. That, are you serious? No that way. that's if I was crazy. Scared, I'd say get out of here. I'm the coach here. You you worry about paying the bills. Here. <laughs> yeah, and not get him fired real quick. But you got to give a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of praise to this Dallas Cowboys offensive line. They are so good, and they're the best this year than they have as than they have been in the past uh, ten years or so, for maybe ever. Like if you look at Demarco Murray and what he did there, not not discrediting Murray at all. He's still a great running back. But if you look at the type of numbers he put up when he played in Dallas, they were crazy. He broke all sorts of records. And now you look at uh, Ezekiel Elliott running all over them. Everyone knows Ezekiel Elliott's a great running back. But I don't know if he has these sort of numbers if he's not working with that Dallas offensive line. A lot of credit to that offensive line for getting the job done. They are primarily the reason that they are sitting at 5-1 and one right now. Absolutely. Give me your last... Not so fast in the negative scenario for the NFL. Ooh, last uh, not so fast in the negative area. 
let's see here. Let's go with the Atlanta Falcons. I see them doing the exact same thing as they did last year. Um, I don't. I don't know if to the exact extreme. They're they're living in a really easy um, conference in the NFC South with the Bucks, the Saints, and the Panthers, who are all below five hundred right now. They could sneak by with those wins, but if they make it to the playoffs, I don't see them winning very much. They've got a great offense. Their defense struggles. Once they played, once they played decent um, competition in the Seahawks, they lost. They put up a good performance, but the Seahawks is not is not the team that they used to be. Even though they're still great, they're not the team they used to be, and they lost that team. In that was their chance to prove it. In my eyes, I this isn't as strong um, dismission as the other one, but uh, I don't I don't like the Falcons' chances in the playoffs. All right. Well, I'm going to go with one last positive. I'm going to go up to the northwest corner of America, the Seattle Seahawks. Everybody came in this year counting off that west division. The Seahawks are sitting now at 4-1. and one. They're getting older. They lost their running back, and an unbelievable character for the NFL, and Marshawn Lynch. They now replace him with Christine Michael, a very young stud back. They got a tight end, Jimmy Graham, from New Orleans last year. He is stepping up huge. I mean, Russell Wilson's unbelievable. He finally understands the pocket. He's not running around with his head cut off like a chicken in the backfield looking for an open receiver downfield. And the defense is still great. They got Sherman, Chancellor, uh, Cam-, Cam Chancellor. They have uh, Earl Thomas stepping up huge. Still got Bobby Wagner. And their D-line's great. They have Aroll. Ruben Reed and then Michael Bennett. Uh, I don't know if you saw that E60 with him and his brother. It was very, very fun stuff there, uh, being an undrafted guy, stepping up and winning the Super Bowl. But, I mean, they're playing well. They just beat the, uh, your Atlanta Falcons um, last week. Now they got the Cardinals coming up, the Saints, the Bills. If they win a couple of these games, they're the real deal. And, again, being very quiet out there in the West Coast helps uh, Coach Pete Carroll, and I think uh, they're a team to be reckoned with later on this season. I agree, and the Seahawks, I feel like they're so quiet because no one expects a team to be able to win like this year after year. This has been about five years now that the Seahawks have been title contenders in the NFL. You don't see programs like that stay that on top of things. They, This defense, they're getting old now, right? They're getting old, but they haven't stepped down at all. Richard Sherman is exactly who he was. Camp Chancellor, exactly who he was. Earl Thomas, the exact same. This defense is not getting older, even though uh, time has um, is not on their side. Yeah, no, absolutely. They stepped up big time. A uh, player I was very impressed with this past week was Odell Beckham Jr. He got hurt early on, had a fumble, did not look good. I thought the media was finally getting to him. I think this was. Gonna, I thought it was going to break down finally and say, you know what, I'm. I need a break right now for the rest of the game. He came back in and went off. He had over 200 receiving yards in the second half, a couple scores, and helped that New York Giants team pull off its first victory, it seemed like, in a while um, against the Ravens. They got the Rams this week. This could be the turning point for them. You never know. I mean, Eli Manning was very confused. Did you see the celebrations that Odo Beckham Jr. had? Took his helmet off into the sidelines. I think it was a little too much, but, I mean, Odo Beckham Jr., that's what you get with him. He's going to make plays for you and uh, hopefully not cost you too much in the penalty yards afterwards. That's such a weird thing with Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. because they're, they're such a great tandem, but they but they are such different people. If you look at Eli Manning and all of the Mannings, they are such humble people. They go out there week after week and get just get the job done. 
they try to stay under the spotlight as hard as that is for them. But <laughs> Odell Beckham is flashy doing everything. you got to think that sometimes it's hard for Eli to throw the ball to Odell every single time. I mean, they got so many weapons over there. I'm going to look forward, though, to this week. Um, I'm going to look – Pick your game of what you think is your most exciting for. I'm looking down at that Vikings-Eagles game at 1 o'clock. Vikings still undefeated at 5-0. Eagles, as you said, could be on the downfall at 3-2. and two. It's in Philadelphia. If Philly wins this game, I think they're right on the right track once again at 4-2 and two after uh, Week 7. Um, yeah, I, could, I, I agree. I think that would be – that's a huge game for Philadelphia. And – if they can go out and beat Minnesota, who is in the top five in the NFL right now, if not the top three, that would be a huge statement for them and Carson Wentz that they aren't going away and that they are here to stay. And uh, Minnesota, that that would that, that would hurt them gravely. That would show that they can lose to a mediocre team in Philadelphia. But moving on to my game of the week, I've got New England and Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh has been struggling as of late. Without Ben Roethlisberger this week, they are at home, um, but they are playing Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, who is back and is who is two and zero up to this point. Um, that's that's a huge game for the Steelers. If they can pull out this one, then that will give them so much confidence and catapult them into the rest of the season. And if New England wins this, it'll just be like every week after week where New England wins another game. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Jackson Schroeder, we're going to bring in Chris again from Tampa Bay, Florida. Uh, we'll see you next week, Jackson. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome in, guys, to the J&B Weekend Wrap-Up. I'm uh, with Chris again from Tampa Bay, Florida. Thank you again for coming on. No problem. Good to be here again, Bobby. So this past week in college football was kind of crazy. Uh, Ohio State escaped one up there in Madison, Tennessee, showed a routing there in Knoxville against the Volunteers, and Clemson escaped one at home. What were your takeaways on that week? Well, I think if, and I, if I can recall back, I, I think I told you Alabama would have no problem with Tennessee, and I think I said Wisconsin take that ten and a half. That would be, you know, pretty much. And Wisconsin gave that game away. Wisconsin really should have won that game outright there. Um, but they had it in control. So I think it was sixteen to three at halftime, or sixteen to six at halftime. Um, as for NC State game, uh, Clemson, uh, you know, the two weeks prior to that, NC State played is on tough ball games. Of course, the one in the bad weather there was Notre Dame. So I figured they'd give Clemson a, a, a little bit struggle there, and they, and they did throughout the whole four quarters. So weekend kind of came out the way I thought it did. Um, really, no surprises to me whatsoever. And there may be a couple this weekend that could, that could maybe surprise you and fool you and all. But we'll just have to go through and see what we can find. Absolutely. So let's get started here on the college games. The game of the week has to be in uh, Tuscaloosa as the Texas A&M Aggies at 6-0, and ranked 6, play the Alabama's, Alabama Crimson Tide at 7-0. and Alabama is favored by 19 and a half. How is that possible? I think I'm going to – would take uh, A&M to cover that spread. Well, Alabama's in their prime right now, and, and Nick Saban, he's got those guys ready. And, you know, it's funny that um, their defense has scored more touchdowns than a lot of college teams' offenses have scored. Uh, I think they're averaging, like, one a game, their defenses. I know they scored two in the last week. Um, Line up on 16 and a half, um, a lot of sharp money came in on Alabama early to get that 
soft line there. Anything below 17 was pretty good there. Texas A&M, I mean, yes, Trevor Knightel, the transfer from Oklahoma, he's got some weapons and all, but I think this defense for Alabama will take control in the second half. And I can see them pulling away late like they normally do late in the fourth quarter and probably get a 21-25 to 25 plus victory over, Alabama, over Texas A&M. And the biggest jump in the top 25 last week was West Virginia as they routed Texas Tech. They jumped from 20 to 12. They're playing home against TCU, still undefeated. There's only two teams left undefeated in that Big 12. It's West Virginia and Baylor who's sitting at 9. TCU's underdog in West Virginia by 5 points. I'm very confused on how they jump up 8 spots, but then uh, Vegas has them only favored by 5 at home. Well, the TCU ball club is not the same as they have been in the past couple of years, losing Trevon Boykin um, last year. Uh, well, this year, I'm sorry, this year to them, who was one of their main threats here since throwing a run. West Virginia at home is tough. West Virginia has a tough defense here in the Big 12. TCU, I, they haven't shown me anything. I mean, at home they got blown out by Arkansas, which, again, I think I said last week, Arkansas would probably win that game over Ole Miss outright. That, that line went from 8 to 10. Um, I can see West Virginia taking care of TCU here by a smooth touchdown or a touchdown and a field goal there. Um, just nothing at TCU impresses me at all this year. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you there. The Big 12 is very shaky at best. A lot of question marks still to be answered later this season. Again, there's no conference championship, so that puts a lot of pressure for a team to have to win out, be undefeated to make that uh, Final Four for the college football playoff. To move to the Big Ten, which will definitely have at least one team in that Final Four, Ohio State, again, sneaking by one in Madison. I was at that game. It was electric. Ohio State came back very strong in that second half in front of a very, very loud crowd at Camp Randall. They get no bye this week. They had to go to Penn State and play at Penn State. They are favored by 19.5. Ohio State is on the road in a whiteout. I'm very, very questionable for calling that a huge blowout win for Ohio State this week. Well, so you, you did you use a jump around in the start of the fourth quarter? Absolutely, I had that all on video. I made a YouTube video. I actually sent it to you after this, but it was great. It was on. That's what turned the game around. Actually, in the fourth quarter, Ohio State was rolling. In the third quarter, they had the one turnover by JT Barrett when it finally started pouring down rain for two minutes. But Ohio State's offense was in gear. Uh, the defense stepped up, and then uh, jump around came on. Wisconsin scored a touchdown to get the lead there with eight minutes to go after that. Well, you know, Ohio State, they got Northwestern on deck next week, and I thought maybe this was the trap spot for Ohio State, so I saw that they have on deck next week, and they don't. They have a Northwestern on deck next week. Penn State, they beat my Maryland club um, on, on Penn State's homecoming. Penn State just has no defense. Just, just no defense at all. And I can't believe this game got a primetime Saturday night slot there. Even though this will be a whiteout in Penn State, I can see the Nifty Lanes hanging around maybe a quarter, quarter and a half. But Ohio State, Urban Meyer, I think he's going for 20 consecutive wins on the road. 21. He won 20 last 21. week. 20 last week, 21. I lose count on some things with Urban Meyer. So, you know, Penn State can hang around. The whole four quarters, no. They don't have the defense to do that. And I can see Ohio State hitting the plus 40 mark in this game, above 40 points. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I would like to see that. Uh, last week, I know it took a lot out of them to come back down 16-6 to six at halftime. I guess we'll be answered late Saturday night. Let's move forward to the NFL on Sunday. 
lot of crazy games happened last week. Odell Beckham Jr. finally, I guess, maybe calmed down a little bit on the stat sheet. He went off for 200-plus yards in the second half, a couple touchdowns, helped Eli Manning finally get a win after a couple weeks of losses in a row. Tom Brady looked as good as ever in the second half, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger is again hurt. What's your take on that? You know, here's the funny thing. How lucky for England. They, they get Pittsburgh without Roethlisberger. You know, that's got to say they're pretty darn lucky there. You're going to catch it with Landry Jones. The line is – they open the line at seven. It's still hanging out at seven. I just got to say New England's lucky. And if Roethlisberger was playing, this would be nothing but a total of about 52 or 53. It's 46 and a half. That would have went way over the number with him playing. Not so much with um, – uh, him not playing Landry Jones is, is starting for uh, Pittsburgh. I don't see him putting up many points, many numbers. If anything, Mike Tom's got to get these guys ready and just play ball control, keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. But as a player, I would sit down and just pass on this game. Now, I was I was looking forward to Roethlisberger playing in this total being about 51, 53, and I was just going to go all out on the over. But I can't now with Landry Jones. I just got to step aside and not touch this game at all. Yeah, I was looking at that, and I was thinking to myself, when's the last time Landry Jones played? And it was against the Bengals in that postseason game uh, when the Bengals choked. Landry Jones came in the game after Roethlisberger was pulled out of the game for his shoulder, and he threw an interception to Vontez Burfitt when I thought the Bengals were going to have their first playoff win, and then it went downhill from there, uh, ripped my heart out. Another coach, though, from the Bengals, Coach Zimmer in Minnesota, has got their boys in uh, the Purple People Eaters at 5-0. and They're playing the – Philadelphia Eagles, who have slipped up a little bit now, three and two in Philadelphia. Minnesota on the road is favored by two and a half. Who do you have in that one? Well, here's the thing: two and a half. Why don't they make it a three? They don't want to give the home team a three. Little note: last last week, home dogs three and zero. If you got Miami, Washington, and who was the other third home dog? I just lost my trip. Uh, Miami. Washington home dog, and um, there was one more home dog that covered. I, I can't think. I don't have my notes in front of me. But um, I know Miami and Washington were home dogs and went out right. They don't want to put this number at three. Three is a key number. Three and seven are always key numbers to the sports books. They don't want to put it at three. I can see Philly bouncing back and winning this game outright. Minnesota coming off with a bye. Uh, Philly coming off of a bad, two bad games, actually, in a row there. I mean, if this number gets to three, I'm going to take I'm going to take the Eagles in the points and just hope that you keep this one close. If not, win it outright. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game because everyone was on the Wentz wagon to start off the season. He started out three zero, looked great. If they lose this game, they'll be five hundred, and Minnesota looks like they'll be running away with that NFC as the best team. A lot of eyes going to be on that game early on at one o'clock. Another game I've got looking at is the Sunday night game. Seattle Seahawks, very quiet 4-1. Not a lot of teams talking about them. They go on the road a little south of them to Arizona, who's 3-3. Three and three. Arizona at home favored by one and a half points. Chris? Hello, are you there? Did I lose you? Yeah, I think you lost us there. Did you hear what I said about the Seahawks and Cardinals? Yes, I, yes, I did. The third home dog last week was New Orleans. That was the third home dog I was trying to think. Oh, that was a huge win for them last week. week. Right, last week. Yeah, there was three home dogs. Home dogs in the NFL are pretty are pretty tasty this year so far. Uh, yeah, Arizona last night. That was yeah, that was a walk in the park last night. That was just an ugly, ugly game. The Jets are bad, and I mean, and if Todd Bowles makes it through the rest of the year, God bless him. You know, Seattle always has trouble with Arizona, whether it's 
in Arizona or it's in Seattle over the past couple years. Carson Palmer looked sharp last night. The running back Dave Johnson looked sharp. Seattle did not look that sharp last week against the Atlanta Falcons, who actually, they've been on a roll coming out there to the West Coast. Took care of Denver, almost got that one uh, last uh, Sunday against uh, Seattle. I'm going to lean to Cardinals again. I, I think they have Seattle's number for some reason. Minus a field goal again, Arizona. But the home team laying less in the field goal, i gotta, I got to go with the home team and take Arizona. All right, and the final game we could talk about, if the Baltimore Ravens at 3-3 three and three go on the road to the New York Jets, right now the line is even, and they say that Fitzpatrick might not start that game. They might bring in their backup quarterback and Geno Smith. How is that game even? I think the Ravens, if they bring in Geno Smith or Fitzpatrick, should be favored in that game. Well, I, I look at it this way. Teams don't always play the same every week in the NFL. Um, and that's the thing I go off of. Whether Geno Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick, or Heck, Joe Namath uh, on Sunday. Problem Baltimore Ravens, they're hurting on defense. Well, late in the um, second half, it showed against the uh, New York Giants there. You know, it's a toss-up here. I, I really can't go either way with the Jets or Ravens, especially when the Jets played last night. I mean, just, just bad, pathetic. No offense, really no defense. The linebackers out there, they're one linebackers out I can I can see more interesting things to go out of other than the New York Jets and the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. I just have to take a pass there. All right, well, I'm going to go on the opposite side. I'm going to pick Baltimore to win that game if Geno Smith has any chance of starting. He's not shown anything like a good quarterback can play in the NFL, and I think Joe Flacco needs a win to stay above 500. That is all the time we have. Thank you again, Chris. Hopefully everything's doing great in Tampa Bay. We are finally hitting the fall weather here in Athens, Ohio. Temperature's starting to drop on us, but it looks like it's 70 and beautiful, as always, down there. Hopefully we see you next week, everybody. Thank you once again, the J&B Weekly Wrap-Up.